So, do you have joy? Yeah, yeah, all right, okay. I'm asking again, do you have joy? All right. How about this? Are you happy? It depends, right? It depends on how the Sunday morning rush to get to church went or whatever happened this week. You know, we talk about happiness, and a lot of people in our state would answer that question, are you happy, with a no. And here's how I know this. This, this study is a couple of years old, okay? Uh, so the, it, it's not, not incredibly recent, but I can't imagine it's changed a whole lot after a year of COVID, okay? Um, but just a few years ago, a group called Wallet Hub did a study, and they found out that out of 50 states, the state of Alabama is 47th in terms of being happy. <laughs> um, silver lining, there are three states who are more miserable than we are, all right? Now, having said that, here's, this will encourage you. Having said that, there are the, the same, same group did in the past year, uh, or year before, it's been in the past two years, did a study and found that the city of Huntsville is the happiest city in Alabama and among one of the top 100 happiest cities in the country. So you ask, at least I did, how do they determine what happy is and what happy isn't? Here are some of the things that they looked at. They looked at uh, your work environment, you know, jobs, the availability of jobs, your job, whatever your current situation is, whether or not you're happy. They looked at your emotional and physical well-being to determine whether or not you are happy. They looked at community and living environment to determine whether or not you are happy. How people responded to questions around those things helped them to determine whether or not individuals were happy, whether or not uh, the state, whether or not the city, the people lived there were happy. So, let me ask, now that you understand that, are you happy? All right. I'm happy living here. I'm I'm happy. Uh, But happiness comes and goes, right? So, is happiness the same thing as joy? No, of course not. It's not. Um, and we, you know, we went through the book of Philippians a couple of years ago, and we talked about joy. And we're going to talk about joy again today, because happiness and joy are two very different things. So what is joy, and how can we attain it? Uh, well, Paul, he mentions joy several times. He mentions joy 21 times in his letters. Next week, we talk about peace. A lot of times, joy and peace go together. He mentions peace some 43 times in his letters. So it's not surprising that those two things are together. Matter of fact, love, joy, and peace are kind of like triplets. You see them often in Scripture. Uh, Peace and joy, a lot, you see together in Scripture. They're kind of like twins. So it's not surprising that in, in the fruit of the Spirit, we see all three of those. And again, next week, we're going to talk about peace. Today, we're going to talk about joy. These words, though, they're not just about emotion. They're not just about being cheerful. They're not just about being in a good mood. They go beyond that. They, there is, they are profound, and, and they should be uh, an integral part of the character of the life of a believer. Love, joy, and peace. Joy should be a defining characteristic, just as love should be a defining characteristic of a believer and, and our life and witness as followers of Christ. So, 
We're going to continue today in our series that we call Fruit Gushers, and we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about love last week. We're talking about joy this week. Fruit Gushers is the candy, right? Uh, we, we have talked about how, and if you've eaten these, you know that there's juice inside of the candy, and uh, if you bite into that candy, a nice little surprise, right? The juice comes out, and that's the way it is to be with us in the fruit of the Spirit. It's on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it is to flow out of us, which brings us to our theme of this series. The fruit of the Spirit flows in us from the presence of the Holy Spirit and flows out of us for the advancement of the gospel and to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is who produces the fruit, but we exercise our part in that, and we, the, the fruit flows out and impacts other people. We see the fruit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And folks, this is about authentic Christian living. This is about displaying the character of God. It is the Spirit of God working in and through us for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Look at verse 22 of, of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We talked about that last week, right? And today we talk about joy. Peace, patience, kindness, good, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, a couple of things to remember, right? Uh, for one, we cannot cultivate the fruit of the Spirit on our own. We talked about that. It is the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You can't do it just through human effort alone. On the same note, though, on the one hand, you can't cultivate it on your own. On the other hand... We, we can't just sit back as believers and expect God just to do all the work without our doing anything. Uh, we, we have a part in this. It's both and, not either or. He, the, the, the fruit can't be present without the Holy Spirit being present in our lives, but we do have a part in exercising the fruit through spiritual disciplines and things like that. So it's both and, not either or. Also, the secret to the flow of spiritual fruit and our unity with God and others is yielding to the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ. We have to submit to the Spirit and we abide in Christ. We live in communion with God. The Spirit produces spiritual fruit in us. It's supernatural through our relationship with Christ. We also need to remember the fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. It's not various fruits. It's one fruit with nine different flavors. And a Christian, as we're walking, if we're walking according to the Spirit, we're going to possess these qualities, all of these qualities, not just a select few. Now, are there times in your life where you struggle with some and not others? Are some people more predisposed to displaying some qualities than others? Absolutely. But it doesn't get us off the hook. We're all to display all of these flavors in our life. Last week, again, we looked at love. Uh, love is the grace or the fruit from which all others flow. It's kind of like the glue that holds it all together. To put it another way, love binds all the fruit of the Spirit together in perfect unity. Today, we're going to look at joy. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 14, and we're going to take a verse from chapter 15 as well. 
Now, granted, this chapter in Romans 14 is not just about joy. It is about love, which we talked about last week. It is Paul is talking to the Roman believers, and there's some arguing going on. Uh, They're arguing over diet and spiritual holidays, basically. There's division. Should we observe some Jewish holidays if we're believers? Do we have to do that? Um, What should our diet be? Should we eat meat? Some people say yes. Some people say just eat vegetables, and so there's division. And there are new believers that are weak in the faith who are struggling because they don't know the answers to those questions because the more mature believers are arguing over those questions. And it's causing younger believers to stumble. And so Paul gives them this message of love, love above all else. Yes, you're free to do some of these things, but you need to ask yourself the question. We ask ourselves the question, should I do those things if it's going to cause a weaker brother to stumble? So we look at Romans chapter 14, and and this is why Paul says this in verses 13 through 18. Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. There shouldn't be any division. You shouldn't be fighting. You need to put others above yourself. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean itself. Still, someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that person it is unclean. He's saying that meat's not unclean, but to the person who believes it is, they don't understand all that you understand. They're not mature as you are. They believe that. You need to think about where they are spiritually. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy that one that Christ died for by what you eat. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, when we think of of being Christ-like, displaying Christian character, I think we think of things like righteousness. I think we think of holiness. I think we think of peace. I, I certainly hope we think of love. You know, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. All of those things. And we, we I hope, can agree this morning that all of those things are vitally important in the Christian's life. Okay? But do we always put joy on the same level as righteousness and peace, holiness? I don't think we do. In terms of a... Christian characteristic that's vital to being Christ-like. But think about the context here in Romans 14. Paul's saying you guys are getting sidetracked by arguments that it doesn't matter what you eat and drink. What matters the most is that you are Christ-like in your love for one another and having peace amongst the brethren and displaying righteousness in your life and key in on verse 17. Joy is a vital part of that. God is not just, here's what I take from that, okay? God is not only satisfied if I display righteousness and peace, even love. It only, he is only completely satisfied with me when I also display joy in my life. Uh, that's a vital part of being a follower of Christ. And then verse 18, without joy, my life is not very pleasing to God. Joy is just as important. Um, the fact is, only Christians, only Christians truly have a reason to be joyful. But it is also a fact that every Christian has a responsibility to display joy in their lives. Christian joy is both a privilege and a responsibility. Now, you say, oh, that sounds good, but how do I do that? 
Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. Because it's not always easy to be joyful. It's not always easy to display joy. But we know that in John 10, 10, Jesus told us, I have come that they, we his children, may have life and have it to the full. God wants you to experience a full, abundant life filled with joy. But we don't sit around waiting for our circumstances to change, to make us joyful. That's not how this works. We're commanded to be joyful always. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the verse I read at the beginning of our worship service, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We're commanded. Here's the point. Joy is not an option available. Uh, It's not an option available only to those whose temperament is predisposed to it. Some people are just naturally more joyful. I recognize that, but it's not an option only for those people. God intends that every one of his children exhibit the fruit of joy or the flavor of joy, maybe we should say. He, ex- he expects all of us to experience and to exhibit it in our lives. As a matter of fact, it is a contradiction for a person to profess to be a child of God and then to walk around every day ho-hum, miserable, and causing everybody around them to be miserable because of their, their attitude. Former Presbyterian pastor and seminary professor, the late John W. Sanderson, said this. He said it's practical atheism to do that because it ignores God's attributes. It ignores who God is. We understand, though, that a lot of times life is not joyful. Can I get an amen? Life is difficult. Life can be painful. And there are many reasons, and we're going to talk about the obstacles that we face in experiencing joy. There are a lot of obstacles to experience joy. It's not just a matter of snapping your fingers all the time and, oh, I feel better. All of a sudden, all my problems are gone. Life is easy. No, it's not about that. So let's look at it. Let's start with just that, the obstacles. We need to recognize that there are obstacles to experiencing joy. Now, listen, one of those obstacles is sin. One of the reasons we may, you may not be experiencing joy is because there's sin in your life, either attitudes or actions, things that you are doing that are separating you from God. One of the the ways we, the reason we have joy is because we're connected to God through Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God that once was severed by sin. So either, you know, you may be lost and not have a relationship with God, and that may may be a reason you don't have joy, and you don't know what joy is. But even as believers, we can have habits of sin that we allow to develop that separate us from God, not losing salvation, but breaking fellowship with God. And anything that comes between me and God is going to affect my ability to experience and exhibit joy in my life. When David was confessing his sin with Bathsheba, a sin that separated his fellowship with God, in Psalm fifty-one, twelve, he begged God, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me a willing spirit. The joy had been, had been affected. He wasn't experiencing joy. He's confessing that. And then in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32, we see David vividly describe the lack of joy as he agonized over sin. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was drained as in the summer heat. When we're not experiencing joy, this isn't always the reason, folks, but one of the obstacles could be sin. So if I'm not experiencing joy, I need to at least start by asking God, is there sin in my life that I need to confess? Is there some way that I'm disobeying you? Is there something I'm doing in my life that's dishonoring to you, that's causing my fellowship with you to break? If so, confess, repent, turn away from that sin, turn back to God. That could be your first step in experiencing joy. 
Truth to remember, if we're going to experience joy in our lives, if we're really going to experience it, we have to deal with sin, both attitude and action, thoughts and actions. That could be an obstacle. Another obstacle, maybe there's no sin in your life. Maybe you honestly are in right fellowship with God, but maybe you're putting your confidence in the wrong place. Maybe it's a misplaced confidence. That's another obstacle. Paul told the Philippian Christians to rejoice in the Lord a couple of times. He did it in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He, he, it was a common theme here. The opposite of rejoicing in the Lord, putting confidence in the Lord, is to put confidence in the flesh, to rejoice in the flesh, to, to seek joy from the flesh and good works. Not even bad things, right? It may be sin. We've talked about that. But it could be good things and, and achievements and recognition and religious attainment. I mean, doing the right things, obeying all the rules, being legalistic. I mean, any number of things. If that's where, if that's where I'm going for my source, my only source of contentment and joy, then I'm going to be let down. We have to have our confidence in the right place. John W. Sanderson again. He said, even success in the Lord's work is a broken reed if we lean on it for security. If that's our source of self-confidence, of self-worth, of security, then we'll left, be left and disappointed. We'll be disappointed. In, Jesus, in Luke, Jesus sent out the 70 to preach. And Luke tells us in chapter 10, verse 17... The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus' response is interesting. He sends them out, and they have success, and he comes back, they report that, and here's what he says in verse 18. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Word of warning. Look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. But verse 20, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. I mean, that seems like a reason to rejoice, right? It says, but don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's the key. Listen, God gives us the same power, by the way. Don't worry, we're not going to start handling snakes. You'll never see me doing that, okay? Unless there's like a burning bush, like Moses, all right? And even then, I would have trouble. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, that's... We're not going, that's not what we're going, where we're going with this, okay? It seems though, and I'm thankful we have that power, and it seems like reason to rejoice, but it seems, when you read this, it seems like Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in victories in ministry. Don't rejoice in success in ministry. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying don't only rejoice in victory and success in ministry because those, there are going to be days where you don't experience a lot of victory in spiritual warfare. Administrator. It doesn't feel like it. Okay, we've already got the victory in Christ. But there are, going to be, there are going to be a lot of times where you invest and invest and invest and you see absolutely no return this side of eternity. That's ministry. That's, that's kingdom work a lot of the times. And listen, after I don't know how many years of ministry now, uh, 17 years of being a pastor, I feel like, and I'm probably, Mandy will tell you, I tend towards, you know, the glass is half empty sometimes, but I feel like it's more, uh, you don't see the return than you do. <laughs> I mean, you just, you tend, we tend to focus on those things. And so Jesus is saying, don't just get joy from that. Remember, the greatest reason you have to rejoice is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That is our foundation for joy. Those other things will come and go. 
You won't always be able to measure success, but you will always have salvation because I have given you victory over sin. That's what he's saying. Don't get lost in awards and recognition and all of those other things. Our joy has to be grounded in that truth because if you don't have Christ, you don't have joy. You don't have reason to be joyful. Another obstacle is discipline. Moving along. God will discipline us. This is related to the sin obstacle, right? Because if we're living in sin and we don't repent, God's going to discipline. Even when we do, there are consequences to our sin. And discipline is not fun. And sometimes when we're experiencing discipline, it's hard to be joyful. But, you know, we have to remember Hebrews 12, 11, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. It is. Later on, however... It yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, it's interesting. Peace and righteousness, again, connected to joy. <laughs> Pain is, is the opposite of joy for us a lot of times. We should have joy in the midst of pain, but a lot of times when we're experiencing that, we have trouble with joy. You know, but the key to joy in times of separation, sinfulness, is we've got to experience the discipline because of the purpose is to get us back in right relationship with God so that peace and righteousness are there and joy is there as well. Experiencing discipline itself is not joyful. If we lose sight, though, of its intended results, we're going to feel, or if we feel we don't deserve the discipline, we're going to struggle with that. We're going to struggle with joy. The secret of maintaining some semblance of joy in the midst of discipline is remember what Paul says in the next chapter of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he punishes every son he receives. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't care. But because he loves you and he wants his best for you, what's best for you and for me, he does discipline us. And then Hebrews 12, 11, the last part of that verse again, later on, however, it, it, it produces, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We have to hold on to that in times of discipline. It will produce results. And then trials. Trials are another obstacle. Now, trials dis- differ from discipline in that discipline deals with sin, but trials are, are meant to exercise our faith. I mean, we don't cause trials. It's testing. It is, it's circumstances beyond our control. And God uses those things to test our faith and to stretch our faith and to grow us in our relationship with him. He, he uses trials to develop perseverance, endurance in us. To, to, to give us an eternal perspective. Maybe we're focused a little too much on those temporary things that we just talked about or those, those measurable things that don't always measure up. And he's trying to get our focus back on eternity. He wants to get us focused on him again. And trials come in a lot of forms. It can be health problems. It can be family problems. It can be financial trouble. It can be criticism. It can be rejection. It can be outright persecution that the church is facing all over the world. And guess what? This church in America will face more and more of, I believe, in the years to come. It can be all of those things. There are many sources for trials. There are many reasons, uh, many forms of trials. Whatever the form the trial takes, though, And however severe it may be, it's intended to strengthen our character. You know, weightlifters have a phrase, no pain, no gain. You've heard that. And the idea is you got to experience a little pain to get stronger. They know that you have to lift weights beyond really what your muscles can handle to cause damage in order for those muscles to grow. It's the exact same with our trials. God knows this. He knows that faith and perseverance can only grow under strain. 
under trials because it forces us back to the foot of the cross. It forces us to depend on Christ for our strength. It, it broadens our scope. It laser. It, it focuses us on eternity. It gives us. It gives us perspective. It increases our dependence. All of those things. But a lot of times we respond like Job. We start out well in the midst of trial. And listen, nobody suffered as greatly as Job. I mean, Job was is the one we think about immediately when we think about suffering, isn't it? Isn't he? And he started out well in the first chapter in verse 21. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Maybe we start out that way. But as time wore on, as the trials intensified, Job's temperament, his perspective changed. Understandably, he lost a lot. In chapter 34, verse 9, he says, it profits a man nothing when he tries to please God. Have you ever been there? I have, if I'm honest. Start out, well, Lord, I know this is difficult. Maybe March of last year. This is hard, Lord, but hey, you are God. You are, you are in control. Maybe about August of last year, I was going, okay, Lord, it profits a man nothing. When is this going to end? Or whatever trial you're facing, health problems, whatever it is, we've all been here, and we tend to lean towards that, but, but here's, here, here's where you should take comfort. It's okay to be honest with God. He knows your heart. Don't try to, try to fool him and put on a good face. You can do that in front of others, but you can't do that in front of God. But here's the thing. God's faithfulness, hear this, God's faithfulness did not wear out, even though Job's faith did. God remained faithful even when Job was struggling with faith. He stayed with Job until Job had learned the lesson of God's sovereignty. And then he gave Job twice as much as he had before. Did it take away all the pain? Did it replace the children he had lost? Absolutely not. The pain was still there. The grieving was still there. But God remained sovereign. God remained faithful. And Job's faith returned. He trusted in the Lord. God's faithfulness should be a comfort to us too in times of trial. Look at Lamentations 3.32. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion, compassion, according to his abundant faithful love, and it is endless. Endlessly abundant and perfectly faithful for all of eternity. Now that we've seen obstacles, we've looked at some obstacles, maybe you identified with one or more of those. Let's look at how to overcome those. But before we do, really quickly, I want to look at you know, uh, how, you know, re- at least remembering how joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to be reminded of the fact that we can't cultivate this in human effort alone, right? It has to be a result of the Spirit's presence. So, so now go ahead to Romans 15. Look at Romans 15. If you're still in Romans 14, flip over to Romans 15, verse 13. Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we experience the joy of salvation are enabled and are enabled to, to overcome trials, to overcome obstacles. The Holy Spirit uses the word in, in, in our hearts to create the fruit, to cultivate the fruit, and that includes joy. In Romans 15, in a couple of places, draws connections between the word of God and, and, and him cultivating in us between 
God and the scriptures and how he uses the scriptures to grow us. Verse 4 of of chapter 15 talks about the endurance and encouragement that come from the scriptures. Verse 5 says that God gives endurance and encouragement. God is the source. The scripture is the means, is what he uses, his word. The same truth applies to joy. Verse 13 we just read talks about the God of hope filling us with joy and peace as we trust him by the comfort of the scriptures. He uses his word to implant and cultivate these characteristics in our lives, to grow these things. How about, how how does this work? Well, how about we talked about discipline when I'm experiencing discipline. We remember Hebrews 12, 6, the purpose, why he's doing it, what the results will be. Hebrews 12, 11. What about severe trial? Where do I go for that? Well, there's a lot of places, but Psalm 50, 15, call on me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. What if I'm uncertain about my future? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for your welfare, not disaster, to give you future and a hope. Yes, that's for the nation of Israel, but he has the same desire for us. He has a plan for our future. We can be assured of that. We have to put, though, if we're going to experience this, we have to put the scriptures inside of us. We have to read it. We have to study it. We have to memorize it. We have to meditate on it. And through that, God cultivates these flavors, one of them being joy. He works in us. So here again, it's both and not either or. God does the work on the inside, but I've got to do the work of getting it in there. I have a part in this. I have to spend time in his word. I have to do the work so that he, I will be in a position for him to do the cultivating. He, does, he creates it. It's supernatural, but he gives me a part in it. We have a responsibility to exhibit the fruit of joy during that time of trial. We get it, the word in, then we've got a responsibility to exhibit it, even when we don't feel like it. And to be absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to create that joy, to give us the power to exhibit that joy. Remember, the purpose of rejoicing is not so that we feel better emotionally, though that will eventually happen, but that's not the purpose of joy. The purpose of joy is to glorify God by demonstrating to an unbelieving world that our loving and, hev- loving and hev- faithful Heavenly Father cares for us and provides for what we need. That in the midst of the most difficult times of life, we continue to trust Him. We continue to have faith and we continue to wait on Him to provide. So what do we need to do to achieve this? How do we overcome these obstacles? Well, if your obstacle is sin, step number one is you need to confess sin. If you're going to overcome that obstacle, you've got to confess sin. You confess and repent. We've talked about the lack of joy that David had when he failed to deal with his sin, right? Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. But when he confessed his sin, something interesting happened. A change began to take place, beginning with his freedom from guilt. The guilt was gone. He had confessed his sin. That moved to faith in God's deliverance and then to testimony to God's unfailing love, to rejoicing and singing. There was a progression that took place. His attitude changed, his heart changed, his perspective changed because he got right with God once again. There were still great consequences, but his relationship with God was restored, so his joy returned. God is faithful and just to forgive us of sin and to restore us into right fellowship with him. That's the source of joy. Another step to overcoming obstacles and joy is to trust in God. We've got to trust in God. And that's easier said than done. I realize that a lot of times. We've, we've seen how Job struggled with that after the trials went on. 
But again, verse 13 of Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with joy, with all joy and peace as you believe, as you trust in him. We've got to continue to trust, and eventually the joy will return so that you may overflow with hope, with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. God fills us with joy and peace as we trust in him. God stands behind his word. Do you realize that the promises of God are covenants with his people? If you see a promise in his word, that's a covenant he's making with all of his children. And you can, you can bank on that. You can build your life on the promises of God because God is faithful. It is his character that makes these promises valid. And God is perfect and true and eternal and faithful. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So if you're experiencing trials, this verse is a promise to you. We may not see God working. We may not feel God working. We may think he's not working, but that doesn't mean he's not working. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that he's not working. But the comfort and joy, when we look at Romans eight twenty eight, the comfort and joy that we should receive from that, that it's intended to give us, is dependent upon my believing and trusting in him, right? It's not that all life is joyful. It's not that, that, that I can see the good in the moment. The comfort and joy of Romans eight twenty eight is believing that God will fulfill his purposes, that I can depend on him, and by depending on him, I receive that and experience that. Think about this. Talking about Job again, God never explained to Job the reason for his trials. Read through the book. God did not explain to Job why he allowed him to go through what he went through. There's this whole spiritual warfare thing going on behind the scenes that Job is not aware of. We are. We've got the advantage of seeing that. Hindsight. Job never, as far as we know, got an explanation for the reason, a reason for why he went through what he went through. He simply, God simply brought Job to a place where Job trusted him without explanation. And we got to get there. And it's not easy. I'm not telling you I can give you a, a two plus two equals four formula to get there other than you've got to trust God from day to day to day. Saturate yourself in his word and allow the promises of God to sink into your life. Life is tough. Life is hard. But through perseverance, powered by the Holy Spirit, we can get to a point to where we trust him, even if we don't have the explanation. In our trials, we have to ask, is that enough? Is God's presence enough? Is his promises, are his promises enough? Can I trust God even if I don't understand? Because, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. You may never understand. Not in this life. You, may, you will in eternity, but you may not in this life. And I wish I could give you an explanation, but the truth is, I've been doing this a long time, and even if you had a reason, it still wouldn't take the pain of what you're going through away, whatever that is. It's still going to be there. It may help to know the reason, but it may not. And God is sovereign and knows, has reasons that we don't understand. We also need to take a long-range view of life in the midst of present circumstances. The focal point of our joy should be our hope in the internal, eternal inheritance we've received in Christ. And the fact that our names are written in the book in heaven and we have a future in heaven to look forward to. Look at these verses. 1 Peter 1, 6. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time, a short time in, in comparison to eternity, a short time you have had to struggle in various trials. Romans 5, 2. We have also obtained access through him by faith 
into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory, assurance. Hope here doesn't mean, gee, I hope so. It means assurance. We have confidence that we have a future in glory with God in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, my favorite verse, we do not fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. It comes and goes. Circumstances, good, bad, everything in between. Things come and go. So things are temporary. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that's eternal. And the reason that's my favorite verse is because I need that reminder a lot, if I'm honest. I have to be reminded. Focus on eternal. Alan, all the stuff. Yeah, you got to deal with it. I mean, it's, 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 it's part of, of living in this world, living for Christ. Focus on me, Alan. Focus on eternity. It's not about here. It's about what you're building towards, what you're investing in. I need that reminder daily. I quote that verse at least once a day, probably more times than that. That in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells you something about my character, I guess, what I struggle with. Next, we need to give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ. This means to be thankful when times are good and thankful when times are bad, which is harder. Not that we're thankful for the difficult circumstances. I don't know that I've ever, maybe I have, I don't know. But not in the moment, I don't thank God for the difficult circumstance. And that's not what he's saying here. You don't have to be thankful for the, for the pain, for the suffering, for the trial itself. But we give thanks in the midst of every circumstance. There's still reason to be thankful, to thank God in the midst. Thankful for past deliverance, for trials. Thankful that we can trust that he will work out this for our good ultimately. Even if we don't see it, we know because he's promised that. Resting in that promise. That in the present trial, God will not allow a greater burden than we can bear. And that his grace is truly sufficient to give us strength to carry it. As we give thanks to God, we will again begin to experience joy. Now, I want to take a little side note here, okay? Because I think this is important. We need to acknowledge something very important. We need to distinguish between, on the one hand, a Christian who's suffering ordinary struggles of life, trials of life, who might need some encouragement to hold on to their joy in the midst of that struggle. That's very common. All of us have been there. But there's a difference between that and Christians who suffer things like the clinical, the illness of clinical depression, for example. Because that's real, folks. That's a real medical issue that requires real medical treatment, just like any other illness. And listen, coming alongside that person and saying, hey, just cheer up. Giving them a little quippy little reminders that, you know, trusting God, all of these things might actually do more harm than good because joy in the Lord is exactly what they want. And there needs to be controlled, and there's nothing wrong with admitting. If you've never, listen, I've, I've, I've got people in my family who have dealt with this. If you've never experienced this, you don't know how devastating it can really be. And just chalking it up to another trial of life When the reality of it is it's something completely beyond their control, saying, hey, just snap out of it. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what they want. That could be more devastating. We need to understand that depression is an illness. It's not just a failure or a weakness. It's not a failure or weakness at all. And, And we as believers, understanding that, God can use us to help people who are dealing with that. At the same time, 
If you are dealing with that, let me tell you, I, I've, I've shared with you, there are people in my family who have dealt with this. I've talked to many believers who have dealt with this. And even in the midst of their suffering from this illness, they testify to the fact that they still have their underlying assurance of the truth of the gospel and the love of God. They may not feel it. And joy's not just about emotions. But they know that God can be trusted even when life is at its darkest. And let me tell you, he can be even if it doesn't seem like he can be. And these folks, knowing these things deep down means that they can know joy even as an objective truth, even if they're not necessarily experiencing it. And that doesn't take the struggle away. That doesn't take the pain away. But that's why joy as a Christian, as, as a part of the fruit of the Spirit, Christian joy is not just an emotion. It, it flows from exercise in our minds and wills of faith in God and the promises of God in Christ. Joy is real and can be known even in the midst of darkness. But we have to continue to trust. But then, if we can get, if we can break through the obstacles, we can enjoy the fruits of experiencing joy. And there are wonderful. Joy is, is part of the fruit of the Spirit, and there are fruits from experiencing joy. One is pleasing God, and I want to please God. Don't you want to please God? I want to please God. If I'm experiencing and, and exhibiting joy, then I will do that. If Jesus came to bring us joy and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, within us to produce joy, then it's a contradiction of God's purposes when we do not exhibit and experience joy. Yes, some people may be more joyful by nature. That's the truth. We've talked about that. But as Christians, we're supposed to exhibit joy as well as a balance of all of the flavors of fruit that we will cover in this study. We are to be, be individuals who experience and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, regardless of our personal temperament. Because some people are just more joyful than others, but we still should experience it and exhibit it. Physical strength is another benefit. You know, it's interesting, in Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah told the exiles who returned... He said, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy produces physical strength. And this isn't universally true, okay? Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. But I do believe that a lot of times, a lot of our physical weakness as Christians in America, a lot of our apathy as Christians in America, cultural Christianity, even illness physically is related to our lack of joy in a heavy spirit. Not universally true, but I believe it is true. But there's also spiritual strength. So there's, there's physical strength, but what's true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. There's spiritual strength to be gained from having joy. What's true is, in physical is also true in spiritual. If there's unforgiveness, unconfessed sin, anything standing between you and God, you will have a lack of joy and it will impact you spiritually, negatively, spiritually. It will impact your relationship with God. Joy gives spiritual strength. And the joy of discovering the sufficiency of, of God's grace gave Paul strength in the midst of weakness, of insults, and difficulties. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Not only did it give him strength, it allowed him to boast in those weaknesses and those things. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness, therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. 
So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in the pressures because of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul's not, you know, some, some guy who just loves to punish himself. He, you know, he's not, he's not some guy that just beats himself up and enjoys when other people do that. He's saying that I found joy in the midst of all of those things because God's grace is sufficient. And I've discovered that God's grace is sufficient in all of those things. There's strength spiritually that comes from experiencing and exhibiting joy in my life. So, are you joyful? I hope after this, you'll at least take a step in that direction. And I hope your joy will be a little more enthusiastic than that. You don't know when to respond and when not to respond this morning. I've been going back and forth. Joyfulness, though, we need to understand is different from happiness. And I want to show you how this works. It's water again, everybody. Everybody likes the water. I get it. Water's good. So joy, happiness is like this water, okay? We think about happiness, we think about certain things that make us happy. So what are a few things that make you happy? Food. Food. Yeah, you got a little while, so just hang tight, okay? All right, so food makes me happy, right? What else? Family. Which can also be a source of joy, but family... You know, can let you down too, right? So that happiness. What else? Sleep. I agree with that. Sleep makes you happy. What else we got? What? Getting out. That, that's not going to happen today. It's, you're going to experience some sadness today, sorry to say. So getting out early. Humor makes you happy. Good. I'm glad because that's about all I got right now. Um, and that even is, is suspect. All right, what else? Pets can make you happy. They can also make you angry. And I, I'll tell you the story later if you want to hear it, but ours made me pretty angry the other night, if I'm honest. All right, what else? Singing, singing can make you happy. Yes, absolutely, singing can make you happy. The right song comes on the radio. Whether you can sing or not, nobody cares. You're by yourself. You can sing at the top of your lungs, right? Make you happy. What else? Friends, Friends can make you happy. That's right. Okay, so we got all kinds of stuff. Did somebody else have one more? The sun. The sun can make us happy. Yeah, that bright sunshine outside today, okay? I could go on and on. There are a lot of things that make us happy, but all of those things are sub- subject to circumstances, and those people, those individuals, those things can come and go. Um, you know, they, they can also be a source of sadness. They're temporary. But God offers us things that are eternal, things that are not subject. And the marbles here represent, so don't lose your marbles today. The marbles here represent joy. What are some things God gives us that are a source of joy? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Salvation, Salvation, that's right. What else? His word is eternal. What? Forgiveness, yes. What a wonderful thing, right? Acceptance into his family, yeah. What? His promises that are based, or that are covenants, right, and based on his character. So they're eternal. What else? Love. You go through the fruit of the Spirit, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Just throw a few more in there. What else? Grace. Oh, thankful for grace. What? The Holy Spirit. Uh, the family of God. What? Mercy. I mean, we can just keep going. The reality is we could do this all day. And here, it's already filled up pretty close to the top. But what you find in a relationship with God is that the sources of joy are truly endless. And he will fill you to the point to where you're overflowing, yes, with happiness, 
But here's what I want you to realize, okay? If I were to leave this here, and we were to turn off all the air conditioners and just let this building sit in 90-degree weather, 90-plus-degree weather, what's eventually going to happen to that water? That water's going to evaporate. Happiness comes and goes, but I guarantee those marbles will still be there. Joy is eternal. Happiness comes and goes, but joy remains. And that's what we have in Christ. We have assurance. We have joy. And it's eternal because it's based on who God is and his character. So we have a choice to make. We can be joyless Christians or we can be joyful Christians. And listen, it's not always easy. It takes work. It takes effort a lot of times. But it's both our privilege and our responsibility to be joyful. To be joyless is to dishonor God and to deny his love and his control, his providence, his sovereignty over our lives. It's practical atheism, Sanderson says. To be joyful, though, is to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and to say to a watching world, God is real and he saves and he reigns. Are you going to be joyless or are you going to be joyful? What steps do you need to take today to experience that joy? Maybe, maybe the first step of accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. It may be that you're struggling and you need to overcome an obstacle. It may mean, mean that you need help in doing that. and We can help you if you need help. Whatever it is, let's just spend a few moments with the Lord and allow him to speak to us and how we need to respond. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to respond to your word. Thank you for making joy available. Jesus, through your death and resurrection, through the life, the freedom from sin that you've given us, we can be free from guilt, from the punishment of sin. You took that on on the cross. You paid the penalty for sin so that we wouldn't have to. And, and, and in that is the abundant life. You came so that we could have life, freedom from sin, freedom from death and life, new life, and have it abundantly, have it fully, experiencing you, experiencing your plan, experiencing your provisions, your sovereignty, closeness, fellowship with you, all of those things in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of emotions that are all over the place, up, down, everywhere in between, in the midst of people bringing us happiness and letting us down in the midst of all that this world, the challenges that it brings, we can have joy and abundance and security that only comes from a relationship with you. And if there's somebody here today or watching at home that does not know you as Lord and Savior Jesus, I pray that they would call out to you right now in this moment. You died for their sins. We've all sinned and fallen short of your glory and, and the punishment, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift that you offer, Jesus, through your death and resurrection is eternal life. If they will call out to you and ask for forgiveness and invite you into their lives, they can be free from sin and experience the joy of salvation. For those of us who know you and are struggling through life to exhibit this flavor of fruit, I pray that you would speak to us now and show us what we need to do. What are the steps that we need to take to regain joy or to increase our joy, to exhibit joy? Lord, just show us how to respond. And may we respond in faithfulness. For it's in your name that we pray, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of communion?